Hello, you are listening to The Queers Are Watching, and that's Sarah over there. Hi. And you're supposed to say... <laughs> so many things? What am I supposed to say? No, you're supposed to say, and that's Hannah. And that's Hannah over there. <laughs> so bad at this. We should have read a script. <laughs> we don't need a script. I thought that was self-explanatory, but apparently not. It's not. You know what? I'm going to give you a pass because you're getting over an illness. Thanks. Which also means that Sarah's going to be coughing directly into your ear. Like, don't wear headphones when you listen to this podcast. Or don't wear, like, noise-canceling headphones, because then it'll sound like Sarah's coughing from inside your head. <laughs> um, you don't like that? That's not your favorite? No. <laughs> I'm going to pass on that one, especially because okay. of that horrible nightmare I had that one time after I watched some episode of Twin Peaks, I don't remember. But, like, there was this lady who was screaming inside my head. I thought you were going to say you had a nightmare about me. I didn't know where that was going. I was scared. For a oh, no, it wasn't specific to you. It's specific to the idea <laughs> of a noise coming from inside my brain. Oh, okay. It's very disturbing. That's she was scary. also screaming, blood! No, so, thank you. <laughs> this has been <laughs> Hannah's weird dreams. Okay. Um, That's not even the weirdest dream she's ever told me, so... Definitely not. I have some pretty fucked up shit going on in my subconscious and conscious mind. Um, so first, before we get into what we're talking about this week, I wanted to say that after we recorded the last episode, So Much Happened, there was a, you know, follow-up episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where um, Rosa comes out to more people. Which I should have known would happen immediately, but um, so that was like poorly timed because we're like let's do an episode about this episode. And then there was another episode. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later um, in this episode. And also I mentioned last time that I had been watching Mindhunter and I said something to the effect of there's no queer people on this TV show. Um, and then of course I went and watched the next episode and one of the main characters is actually queer. So just wanted to throw that out there. Sorry, retraction. <laughs> yeah, um, I also finished the whole first season of Mindhunter, and I cannot wait for more. And Sarah really needs to watch it. I know, I haven't, just haven't had the time. It is really deep and dark, though. Okay, I'm um, back in school, so I don't even think I should, I shouldn't go there. Is I'll get trapped in a deep, dark mindset and not be able to get anything done. Well, spring break will be the time for you to... In March? <laughs> yeah, it's a ways. It's so far from now. Just thinking about how far my break is, is the saddest thing. It's the saddest I've ever been. <laughs> yeah, but you're going on two vacations, two weekends in a row. I know, that's true. And one of them is with your BFFs. <laughs> um, we're going on a wine-cation. We're not going up north to mm -hmm. actual wine country. Yeah, no, we're going Out down east. south. Southeast? Yeah, Temecula's south, right? I, I don't know. I thought it was just east, but I could be wrong. I don't know. It's in Temecula, California. The other wine country. <laughs> well, let's get this party started. <laughs> so should I tell them a little bit about what we watched? Yes, you should. Okay, so we watched San Junipero, uh, the season three, episode four of Black Mirror. Uh, for those of you that have not watched it, I watched it a little bit before this, and then Hannah watched it today. So it's very fresh in her mind. Um, I did rewatch it with her, and I took notes this time. It won two Emmys and one BAFTA. The writer is Charlie Brooker, who is the creator of the show, and the director is Owen Harris. There's a lot to say about this. Like, if you've never seen Black Mirror, it's kind of all about, like, 
technology and technology gone awry and the future it's very science fiction-y um this is one of the only episodes i read about that is positive in the show it has a positive portrayal of technology but it also kind of has a negative one but it has a positive one (laughs) so it's real bittersweet you might say yeah and before we watched this sarah was like hannah what do you know about black mirror and i said The only thing I've heard about it is that it's a show about how technology is terrible and will be the death of all mankind. (laughs) Um, Which is generally true, so... But this one episode apparently is not quite like that. Like, it is very... (coughs) um, Showing two sides of the coin, you Mm -hmm. might say. Um, I think I'm happy to have watched only this episode of Black Mirror. Like, I haven't watched any other episodes, and quite frankly, I don't really want to. Yeah, from what I've seen of it, I'm worried it's going to send me into a real spiral. (laughs) So for anyone that doesn't want spoilers on this episode, stop now, (laughs) go watch the episode, and then come on back. Yeah, turn around. Um, Because there is kind of like a plot twist type thing, so Sarah will tell you about that. Okay, so like the plot twist, I have to start with the plot twist because then you won't understand the basis of the show as I explain it. Um, The plot twist is that these two women are in a virtual reality. So, like, they're not really there. So, like, a lot of things are happening. Um, These two women meet, and it's clear that one is, like, queer, but she has never, like, accepted that about herself. And the other one is, like, this sort of um, wild, crazy, no-strings-attached kind of person. Her name is Kelly. And the girl who's a little more, like, uptight, I would say, um, is Yorkie. Like the dog. (laughs) Um... They, like, meet, and they, like, have a connection, and then, um, like, nothing happens because Yorkie stops it because she's, like, nervous about it, and then it jumps to a week later, and then they meet again, and they have sex, and it's clear that the no-strings-attached girl, Kelly, is, like, growing really fond of her, so she starts to avoid her, and then when you realize what's going on... Yorkie goes looking for her, and she goes looking for her in different time periods. So they originally meet in 1987, and then she goes looking for her in 1980, and then again in, sorry, I wrote these down, 1996, and then again in 2002. And she finally catches up to her in 2002, and then they, like, kind of have a fight about Kelly avoid, avoiding, avoiding Yorkie, um, and then... I don't know, like they kind of just end up connecting emotionally. Kelly really pushes to meet Yorkie in real life. And that's the moment where you really find out for sure, like, this is a virtual reality. I kind of knew from the beginning it was something about virtual reality Mm -hmm. or something weird was going on, but I didn't know, like, for a fact until that moment, I guess. Yeah, I think the first time I watched it, that was, like when it was confirmed, because they say a lot of, like, really vague things. Like, in 2002, Yorkie says, what percentage of people here are full-time? And she's talking about San Junipero in general. Uh, Kelly seems to know exactly what she means, and she responds with 80 to 85%. And in the beginning, she asks her, like, are you permanent or are you a tourist? And Yorkie says, oh, I'm just visiting. I'm just a tourist. I guess you could say, like, okay, San Junipero is a vacation spot, but mostly it kind of seems like they're alluding to that. And my first 
before I figured out that it was some kind of virtual reality, my first instinct was to think like, oh, it's the town that time travels by itself. Like outside of the town, the world's normal. And then this town is just time traveling. And I thought maybe the time travel happened at midnight, no matter what, because throughout the whole episode, (coughs) they're saying like something's going to happen at midnight or we only have until midnight. Mm -hmm. So I assumed that just something was happening where in this town time shifts at midnight every time. Um, I think it's weird that they keep saying that when it's like established later on that like midnight really doesn't have anything to do with it. You get five hours there. They just set it up. So your five hours end at midnight. Uh, maybe it's so that you can easily tell when your time's about to be up. They just set it so that I guess. whatever, regardless of what time it is in real life, your virtual reality time when it says 12 o'clock, that means you're out okay, or something. That's, fair, that's, fair. that's what I assumed. Anyway, all of this is to say it becomes a story about maybe one of the good things that technology could theoretically do, which is like... Help a, queer people? <laughs> yeah, but like also kind of make death obsolete, which I guess a lot of people would say is actually not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they address that in the, yeah. in, in, the, in the show. I don't know. I think it's a cool idea. I think it's a cool idea, too, but I don't believe in living forever. Like, that's sort of terrifying to me. Mm. So I don't think that I could ever do a San Junipero thing. Like, maybe if I was really afraid to die at the time, because she does say, Yorkie says, like, you can end it anytime you want. It's not a trap. So, like, you can die again and die permanently. So maybe. But I don't think I would be like, yeah, I'm going to live here forever. She was real wild about living forever. I mean, I feel like that would be a little bit me. That's so es- wild. Especially because her life sucked so bad in real life. That's true. Like, she gets to have another life where it doesn't really suck that much. Okay. Her life sucked so bad, by the way, because she came out to her parents when she was 21. And they were super religious. And they were like, we can't have a gay daughter. We're disowning you. And so she drove her car off the road. And she became a quadriplegic. And then... I don't know if it's, like, established that, like, right away she couldn't, like, talk. But by the time we see her, she's, like, probably in her 70s, late 60s. And she cannot speak. And she cannot move. She's essentially a vegetable by the time we see her. So that's why the virtual reality is so important to her. Because it allows her to interact with other people. And she can't do that. And it also allows her to walk, which she, which seems important to her. Like, there's a lot of focus on her feet. Especially Mm -hmm. when she gets to the beach. She's, like, kicking up sand. Or she's putting her feet in the sand. And this is not at all to say, like, if you can't walk, your life is terrible. (laughs) It just seemed to her... Like, I guess it meant a lot to her. It meant a lot to her. And also, like, that fucking sucks to to have the thing that made you not able to walk happen right after your parents disown you. Like, yeah, yikes. <laughs> so. <laughs> Poor thing. I did feel bad for Yorkie. I feel bad for her because her parents named her Yorkie and then True. disowned her. Well, maybe that wasn't her real name. Like, maybe her name was something else. And then they called her Yorkie for short or something. I hope so. Um, <laughs> that's so sad. But who knows? Maybe in the future, that's going to be the hot name where Ew. everyone's naming their kids Yorkie. No, or thank something. you. Oh, it's just dog breeds. No. So, so you, Shih Tzu. Yeah. <laughs> this is my friend Doberman. No. Um, <laughs> Doberman is a name. It's a last name though. Yeah, but 
I don't know. What's some other ones? This is my friend Wiener Dog. <laughs> Not Wiener Dog. Anyway. I know it's Dashin, but like Wiener Dog is what I hope that my new friend's name is. Mom, Dad, I'd like you to meet my girlfriend, German Shepherd. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> if you want to be really progressive, you can also meet her boyfriend, Pitbull. <laughs> Not Pitbull. <laughs> it's come back around now. That it. <laughs> It's looped back. Sorry, y'all. <sighs> Exhausting. Um, <laughs> Hannah hates me. <laughs> so, <laughs> right after this episode ended, Sarah looked at me and was like, initial thoughts, initial thoughts. So, um, some of my initial thoughts. I thought you were going to be like, so I wasted them all on that moment and we no longer have thoughts. No, we have thoughts. I'm going to repeat <coughs> some things that Sarah's already heard me say, but y'all haven't heard me say it. It's true. I was kind of interested in the fact that in this future world um, where you can be uploaded after you die and live forever, essentially, there seemed to be no capitalism because it seemed to me that anyone could get uploaded. It's, like, there was no discussion of, like, if you had the means to get uploaded. Like, it was just like, yeah, do you want to or do you not want to? It also seemed that everyone had bodily autonomy to be able to choose whether or not they got uploaded, which Mm -hmm. is also interesting. Um, Because they chose to pass over. They chose to die. They chose to be there. Um, Both of the characters had caregivers. Like, one of them was in, like, an assisted living home. And the other one lived at home with a nurse caregiver. Like, to me, that's radical. Like, to be like, whoa, this black woman and this quadriplegic queer woman over here. I mean, they're both queer, but I don't think that... It didn't didn't seem that Kelly was out about being queer in real life. Just at San Junipero. Yeah, I would agree with that. And either was Yorkie, obviously. So, like, it just seemed, like, wild that these two... Like, one abandoned woman and one widowed black woman had health care. They had health care that seemed very focused on them. I was mm-hmm. kind of expecting it to be like, oh, Kelly's in a nursing home where there's a bunch of other people or something. But it seemed like that woman had her full attention on Kelly, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And it seemed like, you know, like the right to die. Like, wow, what a concept. Yeah. Um, also, Kelly had a bomb-ass house. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. Like, it was I'm very like, modern architecture. It was beautiful. It was fucking huge, too. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, a great this, view. this is going to be a nursing home, right? No, I think that's her house. That was her home, I think. Um, it was only Yorkie that was in, like, a care facility. And they mentioned, like, her parents don't visit her. And I was like, how are her parents still alive? Because she's pretty old. Because he said she was 21 when she got in the accident, and he said that was about 40-something years ago, so she'd be about, like, 60 to 70. Well, if it's in a future where people can get uploaded, I'm pretty sure people can live longer. Hopefully. <laughs> like, her parents are now, like, 110-year-old assholes. <laughs> well, um, th- they didn't want to sign off on her going to San Junipero because they were religious, as in they, like, believe that she's going to go to heaven and they just need to do that. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine that they would be using life-extending processes. Like, that would se- that seems unrealistic. True. Maybe we just found a plot hole. Maybe. Or her parents <laughs> were, like, 90 and they were alive. Kept alive with the power of Jesus or something. Not the power of Jesus. 
Um, or they were like real hypocrites and were actually using life extending technology. <sighs> Meanwhile, being like, but you're not allowed to because you're a lesbian. You can't see my face, but I'm shook right now. <laughs> like, if that's true, that's so fucked up. Like, I hope they die. Their imaginary lives end. <coughs> I hope somebody pulls them from the cloud and not on accident. <laughs> I know at the end when that robot was like putting the different things in. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain this in a way like on a it's such a visual that I can't yeah. this robot is like going up and down these aisles of people's consciousnesses that are obviously like plugged into the wall of like the cloud or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I it felt, looks like a big router room. Yes. Like where they keep the internet. <laughs> yeah. It's like that's where they keep all the people on on the cloud. Anyway. Yeah. I sound like an old person. It's fine. <laughs> I actually don't understand the cloud that well anyway. Same. Um, people <laughs> have tried to explain it to me <laughs> and I feel like I'm almost getting it and then they say something and then I'm like, oh, no, you lost me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, this robot's like going in there, plugging things in and I was like, oh my God, it's going to like unplug someone. It's going to yeah. unplug Kelly. My thought was, like, what happens if, like, there's a power outage? I'm like, oh, there's got to be a backup generator. But, like, at the same time, like, do they get erased? Like, what if there's a blip in, like, there's, like, an interruption. There's a glitch in what's going on. My thought was, what if there's, like, a nuclear war and <laughs> the whole thing gets blown up? Then everyone's gone. Well, in this anti-capitalist utopia that they apparently live in, there should be no nuclear war. I would agree with that, but <laughs> I guess it was because I was expecting Black Mirror to be so negative that I was like, oh, at the end, they're all going to get blown up and it'll be for nothing. I mean, we can watch another episode. That'll probably happen. <laughs> <laughs> Something that we talked about a little bit was the fact that people on the internet um, have been saying, like, what a great episode that's about a couple of lesbians. Mm. Um, Which is not true. It is about one lesbian and one bisexual woman because... Or pansexual woman. One non-monosexual woman. Yes. Because she never uses a label. She just says, I also like men. And she says something, like she makes some joke. I can't remember it right now. She was like, equal opportunity or something. Equal opportunity is what she says. I was like, (laughs) why? But Sarah was expressing that she's frustrated that um, they didn't use a label for her. I am, because I feel like, I don't know, like, in a futuristic era, like, I think labels should be okay by then, but I don't know if they're trying to be like, we've looped around so much that labels are no longer necessary. Ugh. Yeah. Y'all know how we feel about labels. We think they're very useful. If you want one, you should be able to use one, and we're just very sick of the whole trope of, like... I like men and women. I'm equal opportunity, but that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I don't have a label. <laughs> I'm post-label. Not post-label. That's exactly what they were doing. Oh, my God. Um, so we were talking about how this episode was written by a man that is not a queer man to our knowledge. Um, and how that, like, reflected in the episode. Because... I was, like, my instant knee-jerk reaction was to be, like, it feels biphobic that at some point Kelly says that she doesn't want to go to San Junipero because her husband didn't want to go there and ended up, like, dying for real for real and not going to San Junipero (laughs) um, because they had a daughter that passed away before 
the technology was invented. Mm -hmm. And the implication seemed to be because she was saying, I don't want to like live in San Junipero without my husband and my daughter, that by choosing him, she was choosing death or she was choosing loss in some way versus choosing the eternal utopia life of being with her lesbian life partner. Um, so my knee-jerk reaction was like, this is some lesbian separatist stuff <laughs> where they're like, you must remove men and children from your <coughs> life in order to find happiness or something. And I agree that it absolutely can be read that way. Like, it, it does seem that way. But I think, like, thinking about the fact that this is not written by a queer person makes a difference. And I think because, like, the queer tropes, the queer things that already exist in media and literature are queer utopia and coming out stories and suicide. And that's it. Like, that's all we get. So I feel like maybe a non-queer man might have not seen that. Like, maybe he wasn't thinking that. Maybe he was just like here's one option and here's another option and they're not necessarily heterosexual heterosexuality versus homosexuality i'm so used to reading things like that as moral judgments but maybe he wasn't making a moral judgment maybe he was just like this is why kelly is trying to not go to san junipero because we need plot to happen True. Because there would be no plot if the whole time she was like, yeah, I'll stay with you forever at the end. Yay! <laughs> the plot is that she doesn't want to stay there. I actually read that he was going to end it with her not going. Like, her not staying there. But then he thought he would end it on a more hopeful note. Um, as a fuck you to everyone who thinks that Black Mirror is so negative and anti-technology. I also, I really thought that she was going to, like... Just not go. Yeah. I think when I first saw it, yeah, I thought that too. I thought that was just how it was going to end. And I was like, bleak. Wow. I don't, okay. I don't understand why she, in San Junipero, drove her car into. Okay. I wrote something down about that. Like, she knows at that point that Yorkie got in an accident and tried to kill herself because her parents disowned her because she was gay. And the way she did that was by driving herself off the road. And then she became quadriplegic, changing the trajectory of her life. So I felt like it was really fucked up. Like, I get that they were in a fight and they were in an argument or whatever, but I felt like it was so fucking extra for her <laughs> to be like, I'm so mad at you. You want me to stay here and you are devaluing my relationship with my husband who died and therefore, I'm going to drive myself off the road the same way you did. And her, she knew, because when you go to San Junipero, you can turn your pain receptors off. And you won't die if you don't want to. So she always, like, runs around without that on, on purpose. So she knew that she wouldn't die. So she was just doing it for, like, dramatic effect. Like, dramatic flair to be like, look at me trying to kill myself the same way you did. Like, was she trying to trigger a trauma response in Yorkie? Like... That's fucking wild. I don't know what she was doing. <coughs> I don't know if that was her being so lost in the moment that she forgot she was in virtual reality and she was, like, actually trying to commit suicide. Or if she thought maybe that would wake her up from 
the virtual reality or something. I I don't know. It didn't. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I thought it was really really sad. Like when Yorkie caught up to her and she went to pick her up from the ground after she had flown out of her car window. By the way. <laughs> Um, and as soon as she grabbed her hands to pull her up from the ground, it struck midnight and Kelly went back to real life. I thought that was going to be the end. Oh, yikes. That would be terrible. I really was like, oh, this is it. (laughs) That's all. I think when I saw it, I think I thought the same thing, but I'm glad that I knew that this time around. (laughs) I'm so glad that the episode moved in a different direction than where I thought it might go. Mm-hmm. Because in the beginning, I wrote down Manic Pixie Black Girl for <laughs> Kelly. Yeah. Because she kind of, like, shows up and Yorkie's, like, this shy, reserved girl. And then Kelly shows up and she's wild and she's wearing bright colors and shiny jewelry. And she's like, <laughs> you've never had sex before? Oh, let me show you. <laughs> and then, like... I thought it was going to be about how this girl, like, changed Yorkie's life and made her realize things about herself. And then she, like, tragically disappeared into the abyss or something. Yeah. Um, but that didn't happen. That didn't happen. No. We really got to know Kelly and what her life story was. Um, and it kind of, like, almost shifted to being from was, her perspective. Yeah, I was going to say, the focus shifted a little. And probably because, you know, Yorkie couldn't talk in real life and then we get to see like more of kelly but it felt more kelly focused at the end you just blew my mind so much when you said um that i needed to remove my queer theory lens Mm -hmm. because i feel like i have it on at all times (laughs) and i forgot that i could turn it off um (laughs) it's unimaginable yeah Because I was having a really hard time with the episode with my queer theory lens on, and now I'm not having such a hard time. Um, (laughs) The reason why I told her to remove that is because it's not written by a queer man. So he's not writing in a way that a queer person would write it, I think. I mean, to be fair, he could have... He could be someone that's read a bunch of queer theory. Maybe. And seen a lot of queer media, but... Unless he's secretly gay. Let's, Let's Google... I mean, keep talking, but I'll go. <laughs> well, that's why I said he's not queer to our knowledge. Now Sarah's going to find out that he's an out gay man, and we were wrong. We'll see. No, I don't think so. Again, to our knowledge, <laughs> he is not a queer person. Um, One of the things that was really hard for me to reconcile with my queer theory lens on was the fact that there's, like, two different clubs in San Junipero that are mentioned, like, nightclubs i guess i would call them Mm -hmm. one i forget the name of it's the one where they are for most of the thing the one with the arcade and stuff tuckers tuckers and there's like people dressed in like kind of i would say i don't want to say like preppy 80s clothing but very like average 80s clothes very like mainstream like if you went to an 80s party (laughs) that's what most people would be wearing and how most people would look. And it was very well lit. And there were colors. And lots of neon signs. And then there was the quagmire. Which kept getting brought up. And we didn't know for a lot of the episode what it was. And the quagmire is this like dark, seedy, underground club on the other side of town. 
where people go and like have wild sex in front of everyone and it's like a bdsm club kind of everyone's wearing like fishnets and dark eye makeup and and nipple pasties and I think it's, was it Kelly or was it Yorkie that made the comment that the people over there were sad? It was Kelly. Kelly said, like, I don't want to live like those people at the quagmire who are just trying to feel anything. So it kind of put a negative light on, like, BDSM and, like, counterculture, which Mm. I thought was, it was hard for me to, like, to see that with my queer theory lens on because that's not usually where that kind of thing goes. Like, normally it's all about, like... Be, yeah, be different and explore your sexuality and explore pleasure and explore pain. Yeah, because like in queer theory, you would see Tuckers as like mainstream normative culture. And you would see the quagmire as like a metaphor for like counterculture and in this case, queer culture. So it was like she was saying like, I reject queerness by not being with you, by not wanting to live in... San Junipero permanently because and using the example of the quagmire as like as a negative I guess and that's why I found it so hard I was like what's going on like is she saying like I choose normative culture over counterculture is that what she was saying and then is that being aligned with the fact that she's choosing the memory of her husband and her daughter over her new lesbian relationship like that's the way I was reading it and it made me a little uncomfortable um but i guess there are other ways to read it like i can see it that way but i also just see it as like like in the context of san junipero it's like the quagmire is indicative of people that have been living too long like they chose to go there permanently and now they're like fucked up like their consciousness is fucked up their psyche's fucked up they're doing anything to feel something Because they don't anymore. They don't have rules. So. And I don't know if that's like commentary on like human nature. If that's commentary on like how technology can be shitty. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be viewed through queer theory, I think. But that was my first jump as well. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm just trying to put it in the context of like science fiction, not queer theory. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I was bracing myself for like some kind of moral judgment on people that would choose to live forever because that's so because part of the way that I feel like humans cope with mortality is by putting judgment on (laughs) people that would want to live forever like by saying like no that makes us not human and that makes us not good not true (laughs) um like look at like tuck everlasting um, like it's so judgy it's so like I don't remember that movie this is what happens when people try to live forever people just get hurt and it's just bad and oh I God. feel like this gave an alternate perspective of like yeah it can be bad but it could also be really great every time I think of like the concept of like living forever and opinions on that I always think of the vampire chronicles by Anne Rice because I used to read those when I was a teenager Um, And I think they make really great commentary about that. And, like, sadly, very sadly, Anne Rice turned into, like, a religious nutbag at some point. And she was like, I can never write those kinds of novels again. And now she's back because the nature of capitalism insists that she needs to make money. So she's decided that she can now again write fantasy um, about things as complicated as living forever and vampirism. So... 
money is greater than God. <laughs> um, yeah, s- sadly, as you thought of that, which is like, I'm not going to say literary, but it's something that a lot of people are into and enjoy and think is genuinely well written. I instantly thought of Twilight. Um, which is... Which is worse written than The Vampire Chronicles. Just, like, objectively. Like, it's just really... It's bad. It's very bad. Um, like, even even that, even that series where, like, in the end, like, it is a happy ending or whatever, she still felt... Like, Stephanie Meyer still found ways to, like, make it so that it's like, oh, but don't want to live forever because, like, bad things happen. And the whole reason why one of the vampire clan members um tells bella like you don't want to live forever is because she won't be able to have children if she's a vampire oh no and part of the reason why the series actually has a quote-unquote happy ending is because the ser- the chain of events that happens allows her to have a child and then become a vampire she gets transformed into a vampire as she's giving birth that's fucking wild. to a half vampire baby i've never fucking seen that I've never seen that movie. I've only seen the first one and the second one. Part of the second one. I didn't finish it. And then I don't know what happens after that. And I only read the first book. I read all the books. I was really into them because I was a teenager with a lot of issues, including internalized misogyny. Um, (laughs) So I was all about that Twilight life. I'll admit that. Yeah, Um, I think I was like 19 when the first movie came out. So you had to be like a child. Yeah, so, I was... 13? Yeah, I was a teen. A tween? A teen TM. <laughs> um, and, like, a Hot Topic teen, too. So I was like, oh, I want a vampire boyfriend who will, like, kill me and let me... So you were team Edward, is what you're saying. Oh, yes. Oh, I hated <laughs> Jacob. But I feel like Jacob is, like, more of an outward dick in terms of, like, misogyny. Yeah. And, like... With Edward, I was able to, like, be like, oh, he means well. So, like... Something that really always bothered me about that was that, like, he was a Native American. And, like, his entire culture, like, was not just, like, being a werewolf. It was, like, so tied in with being Native American. And, like, his family and friends were, like, a biker gang kind of thing. Which is, like, another counterculture thing. It just seemed so racist to me for her to be, like... This guy is super misogynist and he's going to be this way because he's a brown dude. Like, he's a native over here. So he acts like he owns Bella or he wants to own Bella. And Bella's not having it because she's in love with Edward. But he's going to manipulate her and try and win her over with his rampant misogyny. And it just felt really wild to, like, juxtapose that with, like, here's this ancient lily white vampire and he's the correct choice i'm like it was just very wild oh yeah no like he's totally aligned with like oh he rides a motorcycle and he lives out in the forest and then edward's like i play classical piano and <laughs> i'm civilized yeah the implication definitely there. i mean li- jacob's literally a werewolf that yeah. can't really control when he transforms into a killing machine so <laughs> Little racist. It I'm just, just says so much there. about Stephanie Meyer as a person. And like the third book, which I hated, it was my least favorite one. Was <coughs> like was it the last one? 
No, the fourth one's the last one. Oh, okay. But there were five movies, remember, because we had to do part one, part two of the last one. Well, everyone falls in Harry Potter's footsteps. I fucking hate that. It was bad with the Hunger Games. It was bad with... The Hunger Games should have been one book, first of all. So that is just wild (laughs) that they extended that so long with the movies. Um, Don't even get me started on that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, what I was going to say about... We're, we're still talking about Twilight, but... Sorry um, that we're talking about Twilight, y'all. This needs to be said. I'm sure it's been said before. Um, but, like, the whole... There's a whole section in the third book that goes on way too long where, basically, I think... I think Bella's at some, like, one of Jacob's family gatherings for some reason, and the guy that's, like, Jacob's... I don't know if it's his dad or his grandfather or whatever, stands up and tells this long tribal story about the ancient wolf or something (laughs) and it goes on for so long and it's so clearly just written by a white person who wants to add a little flavor to her to her mythology fucking yikes it was terrible it was like you you didn't think it could get any worse and then it did and then it just keeps getting worse i feel like being like rachel green right now and be like if you want to spice it up like play for some pepper like it's just so wild i can't (sighs) <sighs> what a terrible, terrible series that um, guided me through my teenage years. It guided a lot of people through their teenage years, to be fair. It's not just like you made a really poor choice or anything. It's fine. I mean, I made a poor choice, but... I think I was just old enough to be like, this is garbage. Garbage. I think I even, I think I knew when I was, like, halfway through the series, I, like, realized it was garbage, but I was like, oh, but it's enjoyable garbage, but now I can't even enjoy it anymore. Yeah. That's what happens when you learn about systems of oppression. Now you're like, I can't even enjoy this anymore. I'm like, wait, I'm not supposed to want (laughs) some guy to, like, take me away from everything I know. and And knock you up and marry you. With a creepy vampire baby. It almost killed her. And doesn't she get pregnant, like, they get married and then they, like, go on a honeymoon and she gets pregnant, like, immediately? And it's, like, rapid? Yes. Okay. I'm pretty sure I saw that in one of the movies. They also didn't fuck until they were married. Wild. Because Stephanie Meyer's a Mormon. Um, to all of our listeners out there, always test drive the car first. (laughs) Yeah. Do yourself a favor. (laughs) Um... I'm going to tell a little fun story that Sarah's heard before, but (laughs) I'm just going to tell it anyway. Um, I'm not going to say where I grew up, but I grew up in a town where everything's, like, super conservative and everyone's really religious, like, evangelical mostly. Um, Lots of born-agains just running around trying to, like, give everyone the spirit of Jesus. There's lots of Mormons. Yeah, Mormons too. I had less issues with the Mormons than the evangelicals. Okay. Because Mormons keep to themselves. Mostly. Um, they're like, we have our secret underwear. <laughs> we don't need our you to be a part of this party. But the evangelicals are like, no, everyone has to join this fucking party. Yeah. And we will drag you kicking and screaming. It's true. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm coming out like as a, you know, hard anti-religious stance right now we're really anti-religious in this episode i just realized um i told sarah like every episode we've said something really like (laughs) wild like i not wild i guess like that like mm, super normal people would think of as like radical so polarizing is the word i've been looking for yeah (laughs) yeah we've said something really polarizing in every episode so this episode is just like the anti-religion fest (laughs) sorry Um, to all of our religious friends and fans um you do what you want. Yeah, I'm not disrespecting you. 
just don't come after me. <laughs> Let me live. Anyway, um, my mom was at some thing with like a bunch of moms in the area from my like fifth grade class or whatever. And they were gossiping about some horrible slut girl that moved in with a guy and they're not married and they're probably boning and they're not <laughs> married yet. Oh my God. Um, Unimaginable. And my mom said like, well, I don't know about you, but I would really hope that my daughter would move in with someone before she marries them. Like you got to figure out if it's going to work. And they all just like turned at her and like gasped and were <laughs> like, and then she was ostracized forever. Clutch their pearls. Because apparently that's an astounding thing to say. Yeah. I, I don't want kids, but if I ever had them, I would hope that they would test out their relationship and what, their boundaries are and what they can take like marriage is not just something you should just enter into because you love somebody so much like a marriage is not about love as much as people want to make it seem to be like people get married for love but you don't stay married because you're in love you stay married because you work really hard at it every day like could you imagine if you had like some sort of perfect marriage like that's that's why people get divorced because they don't test it out because they don't know what to expect when they live with the other person. Because they think God's just going to, like, do all the work for them. They, God is not going to do even if, Even if there was a God, and even if he wanted to help people, he wouldn't do the work in your marriage for you. That's for sure. I think he'd be like, here's some advice. Figure it out. It's called free will, people. It's in your own religion. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> Open that Bible. <laughs> That's on your nightstand and look it up. I have. So I think you can if I have. <laughs> yeah. See right there on my uh, bookshelf, <coughs> the new Oxford annotated Bible. Oh, I have a new King James Version Bible. And it's like precious moments themed because I got it when I was like <laughs> eight or nine or something. It's very cute, but it's an actual Bible. It just has inserts of like precious moments, like characters, I guess, that are biblical characters see the placement of my bible on my bookshelf that was next to jewish folklore <laughs> so i'm placing it in the folklore category i don't have categories but i do keep the bible so that i can like reference it if i ever need to yeah because if these motherfuckers come at you <laughs> and they're like i need to be armed with scripture and with that we will end our anti-religion <laughs> anti-twilight Sorry. Um, rant that went on. Maybe we've alienated a lot of people. Hey, if they're <laughs> still with us at this point. That's true. Like, they want to be here. And hey, you know what? If you disagree with some of the things we're saying and you're still listening, kudos to you. You stuck it out. We're going to say even more things that are going to really offend you. So It's true. Um, <laughs> we're here for it. Sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. <laughs> anyway... Um, did you have any more commentary on this episode? It was really pretty. <laughs> it was beautiful. Congrats to Owen Harris, the director. Do we always say that? Like, we're, we're always like, now that we've talked about all the, like, substance. You know, to be fair, though, it was just beautifully shot. Like, they picked good locations. They, like, just, like, I like wide shots. And they had a lot of wide shots, including shots that included characters. There weren't too many 
close-ups on their face, which I think is cheap. Like when I watch things and they only focus on like their face and their facial expressions, I think that's a cop-out because I think you should use your environment to create tone. Yeah, you and me, we love set design. I do. So. Um, and yeah, I feel like when you only do close-ups on people's faces, I'm like, where is the set? I want to see the objects and the colors and everything else that have been so intentionally placed. Mm-hmm. So when you're only on someone's face, I wonder, like, are you doing that because you're too lazy to create an environment Probably. with objects and colors or and spaces? it's a budget thing, maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but in the beginning, when they're in 1987... Um, the color palette is very, like, washed out. And then when she goes to 1996, it's a little darker. And then when she travels to the 2002, it's bright and it's vibrant. Um, and I think that kind of, like, sticks around. Because when they do go back to San Junipero 1987, which is where they stay, it goes back to being, like, sort of washed out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that. I like that. I thought that was a good stylistic choice. So, yeah, I, don't know I liked, other, I don't I know liked seeing though. the different clothes and the different, like, hairstyles and the different color palettes. It was cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that episode is, like, Sarah's dream to be, like, in charge of. <laughs> like, to be, like, hair and makeup and set design. I would love that. Just do it all. I would. Oh, and soundtrack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> soundtrack. Um, I read online that... Um, the creator said that they only had four to six seconds of the Smiths because it was like throwing banknotes into a furnace is what he said. That's how costly it was just to get the four to six seconds. Um, so I wonder like if they might have like played that out a little more because like each like there's a montage of her like dressing up in different 1980s era stuff to go meet up with Kelly and She's, like, trying on different personalities, and she keeps putting in a different tape and listening to a different song with those personalities. So I'm wondering if, like, they could have afforded the Smith song, if they would have kind of stuck with that vibe a little longer. Instead, ended up, um, oh my god, I cannot remember the song that she landed on. And she ended up being, like, who she was in the beginning, like, nerdy looking. Like, think Barb from Stranger Things. Like, that's kind of her vibe. Yeah, I forgot what song it was, too. Like, the, th- the theme song, I would say, of this episode is um, Heaven is a Place on Earth, is I think the actual name of the song. But the song that they played when she finished the montage is really going to bother me. I should have wrote it down. Oh, well. Sorry about it, y'all. I'm interested in what you think about Yorkie's glasses. Because, like, there's a moment where, like, Kelly kind of calls her out and is like, those aren't real glasses, right? Like, you don't need them to see. (laughs) And she's like, no. And, but then Kelly says, well, they're very authentically you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but they're not authentically her because she doesn't need glasses to see. It was just like a weird. I think she meant like it's something that she was carrying over from real life into virtual reality. And that's not something we're thinking about at the time because we don't know that it's virtual reality at that moment. Um, so she's saying like, cause like, obviously if you're in virtual reality and you're a younger version of yourself, you don't need glasses. Like you're probably not going to need any sort of assisting materials because you're in a utopia where you're a virtual reality. You don't need crutches. You don't need a wheelchair. You don't need glasses. You don't need a hearing aid. 
because your body's in mint condition and it always will be. So yikes, like utopia means yeah. there's no disability. Yeah. That's something I thought of when I first watched it. I was like, and I noticed that like there's nobody with a disability in the show. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, and like when you find out later that she is quadriplegic and when she goes there, she's not. I was like, oh, okay. So her, like, is that her idea of a utopia or is that somebody else's idea of a utopia and you just get sent however you get sent according to how they define you being there? Well, it's also the writer's idea of the worst thing that can happen to you is... Not having legs, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not shocked or anything, but I am disappointed. Yeah. (laughs) So I'd say that's an aspect that I don't appreciate. That's so common in utopian fantasy, though. Like, utopian fantasy means, like, never illness. Because illness is, quote, bad. Eugenics. Yeah. Yay. Wow. So we like took the the only like optimistic episode of Black Mirror and we made it like real sad. Well, I mean, it is really sad. Well, on that note, we're going to move to something a little more lighthearted. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but... It for- also had its sad moments, so don't expect it to be too lighthearted. Yeah. Um, but we're going to take a little break. And when we come back... We will discuss Brooklyn Nine-Nine, continued from last time. Cue the theme music. And we're back. Hi. We just watched season five, episode 10 of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, entitled Game Night. And this was the kind of follow-up episode to when um rosa kind of accidentally comes out to charles as bisexual and i feel like i love this episode well let me like say that i love brooklyn 99 so the show is great i think it's really funny and i think they really hit on some important topics um and i don't think they make light of cops at all they're not like you should love cops which is pretty cool for a show about cops but anyway i feel like this episode is really like it's funny and has a it's funny parts and like there is other plot that doesn't have anything to do with Rosa and her story. So it's not just like, we made a focus story so that people would watch it. It was like, that's part of the world of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I thought was great. But it has some really touching moments that really make me tear up. It was definitely, for me, one of the heaviest episodes. It is really heavy for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, for a comedy show, for a sitcom. And I feel like straight people watching it would be like, this is not heavy at all. And then Maybe. queer people watch it and we're like, ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were so many, like, things that were, like, too real where I was like, ah! Okay, so I kept a count going of how many times the word bisexual was actually said or bi or bisexual, either one. Um, So I have it at 11. Seven of those times were by Rosa herself. So yay, that's really cool. If they can say it seven times in a sitcom. In a 30-minute episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not really 30 minutes because... It's like 20 minutes because of commercials. Yeah, 22 minutes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, if they can do it, anyone can do it. So fuck all those other shows that are like, we couldn't possibly imagine saying that word. I guess I can tell you a little bit about what happens. A little bit of, like, synopsis. 
Um, Rosa decides to come out to her parents and she invites Jake to go with her um, without him really knowing. She says, I'm going to take you to dinner. And they go to dinner and then she's like, I'm going to tell my parents because you made me feel like I could really do it because they had like a little heart to heart where he gave her like a, a fake coming out speech of his own, like pretending he was her. And then he's like, oh, cool. When? And she's like, right now, because I invited them to dinner. So then she, instead of telling them, she tells them that she's dating Jake because they that's what they guess. And then they do make a comment that is really upsetting. Um, at some point, Jake gets a phone call from Amy, who is his fiance at this point in the show. And Rosa's dad sees it. And it's like a picture of her showing off her wedding ring. And so it like becomes apparent that Jake is really with Amy. And they say, oh, um, it's okay that you're dating a, a man that's engaged to be married. Because when you called us dinner, you seemed so nervous. We thought you were going to tell us that you were gay. This really sets Rosa off, obviously. And so she says, like, you would rather me be the mistress of my friend than be in a loving relationship with um, a woman. And they don't say anything to that. And so she stands up and she says, you know what? Like, then your worst fears are true because I'm bi and I'm out of here. And so she leaves. Her parents try to remedy this by saying, like, sorry that dinner was awkward. Like, let's not talk about it anymore. And they send her a text and they're like, just come to game night and bring Jake. So then her and Jake go to game night and it's really awkward. <laughs> and there's like, it's, there's kind of like a funny scene um, where she's trying to like, they're playing Pictionary and she's trying to write down marriage and she writes down two women holding hands with little hearts above their heads. And her mom is guessing anything but two women getting married. And like, it starts like a fight between them, like an argument in which she says she's bi again and that she's always known that about herself and that she was afraid to tell them because she was afraid they would react the same way that they were reacting right now. And they say some shitty things. Like her dad says, oh, it's just a phase and it's fine because you can still, you know, marry a man. And her mom says like, um, no matter what you say you are, you could still marry a man and have kids. And she says, I can do that with a woman too. And her mom is just like not having it. Um, I don't like that she says, I like both men and women, because that's, like, not necessarily everyone's definition of being bi, and I don't feel like, the direction the show goes, I don't feel like they would leave out non-binary people. That's still, like, I feel like, I totally agree with what you're saying, and we've said that before, that it's annoying when they could have just stopped at I'm bi. They have to, like, they feel like they have to define it, mm -hmm. but then in trying to be simplistic, they define it incorrectly or incompletely. Mm -hmm. So that's an issue. And I think we have a distorted view of how, maybe of the audience of the show or how normalized non-binary people are to us mm -hmm. versus the general population, which... That's true. The show does deal with some um, more progressive topics, but I think that is way too progressive for any mainstream television show right now. <coughs> like, some Netflix original series have had, like, non-binary characters, but that's about it. I mean, that's true. I guess maybe because in the season before, I think it's the season before, Jake makes a joke saying, because, like, they're in Florida, 
and they say that they really love Ace Ventura Pet Detective because it takes place in Florida. And if you've ever seen that movie, you know that the plot twist is really, really transphobic. He said, like, they talk about how much, like, they love it there in Florida and, like, that movie. And Jake is like, wow, it's just, like, only transphobic at the end. Like, that's his joke. So I thought, like, if they're going to make a joke about transphobia, like, maybe they would be a little more open. But I guess... I guess the majority of people, when they think of trans people, they think of, like, FTM or MTF people. Like, I guess I can understand where they're coming from with their cis straight lenses. But for me, I'm like, stop it. <laughs> yeah, and even in the trans community, there are people that are, like, non-binary people aren't trans. You're only trans if you're binary. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, like, although they should be included, there's no way right now. Yeah. In this moment. It's not going to happen. I feel like it, too it radical. wouldn't. It's, yeah, it's too radical for them. But I just want to smack them until they do it. Oh, I thought it was really cool that it was her dad that ended up being really open and vulnerable and emotional about her. And he is the one that, like, came to her work and told her, I'm really sorry about the way I reacted. It was wrong. And I want you to know that I'm really working on it. And that I'm working on, like, my relationship with you. Um, Which is not something you really see from men in general. Particularly not... Latinx men and particularly not Latinx men who play machete because her father is Danny <laughs> Trejo um and he's like the you know epitome of like machismo so it was like really cool to see that he went and was really supportive of her I thought it was so sweet that um the 9-9 came together at the end to do game night with her because at the end of her conversation with her dad she's like oh game night's gonna be awkward and he's like oh well maybe we should put like a hold on game nights right now and I thought that was really sad. Like, it was just such a blow for her to be like, oh, like, I'm so happy that my dad is, like, coming around. And he's like, but your mom's not, so we can't have game night anymore. And that's, like, was one of her fears of coming out, that she would lose the closeness with her parents that she has just, like, recently attained. So that really sucked. But it was cute that, like, Jake invited the whole 99 over for game night at her house and said they were going to be there every week or whatever. Her little chosen family. So I think that Jake is also why. <laughs> I do too. I'm a big, like, that's my headcanon. So. Because, okay, the episode starts out with him pointing out that one of their suspects in some case is, like, really hot. Like, he literally is like, hi, I'm here to make a presentation about this hot suspect. And everyone's like, ooh. Um, yeah. There have been other indicators, too, in the entirety of the show. Plus, he's, like, he's the person... I don't know, like... Oh, he's not a writer on the show, even though he is a comedian. I thought he was a writer on the show. In this episode, he's not a writer. He's not listed as a writer. I don't know. Like, he just... He has so many lines where he's so knowledgeable about the queer community in general. I'm just, like... There's no way. Gay? (laughs) When he was giving Rosa, like, an idea of, like, this is what your coming out speech might look like, he got real into it. Yeah. And I thought he was going to say, like, am I gay or am I bi? But then he said, like, should I be an actor? And I was like, is that code for <laughs> I'm gay AF? Like, And then later he was like, sorry, I straight explained to you how to come out. Yeah. And I was like, mm, I don't know if that was straight explaining, though. I think <laughs> it was bi explaining. Yeah, I really, I want Jake to come out. The takeaway from this is that there's a multi-episode arc in which this person is coming out as bi and uses the word herself Mm -hmm. um i can't wait to see who they cast as her girlfriend it's like 
Do you think it's going to be, like, a really butch girl, a really femme girl? I don't know. I am open to any possibility at this moment. Like, I think it's going to be someone wild, though. Like, it's going to be someone recognizable cast as Let's her wild. girlfriend. I hope it's Olivia Wilde. <laughs> yes! You know I love her. I do love her. I love her. Someone like that, though. Like, someone who's yeah. recognizable on TV. Plus, she played a bi character on Fox before. Twice, actually. What Two was, different shows. What was the second one? The OC and... Oh, yeah, the OC. I forgot yeah. about that one. House. But anyway, send us your comments on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and or Black Mirror. Um, but probably not the other episodes of Black Mirror because we haven't watched them. And we probably won't, to be honest. So you could, like, send us comments, but, like, we won't be able to engage in conversation about it. We'll be like, oh, that's, cool. that's interesting. <laughs> Um, but anyway, remember the queers are watching. Bye. Bye.